Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hi, you're listening to the Wall Street Oasis podcast, a podcast about breaking into the world of finance, along with interviews with those who have. I'm Alex Grodnick, and on today's show, the ex-head of ETF trading at Lehman Bros, Jared Dillon. Jared's now an author and advice giver. Before we get into today's episode, let me tell you about the investment banking course that Wall Street Oasis offers. When I was trying to break into investment banking, I was looking for any edge that I could get. This was when I first discovered Wall Street Oasis. Their guides were far and away better than anything that I had seen, and they played a huge part in helping me get the job. They are so confident that their course will help you succeed, that if you buy it, and for whatever reason you don't like it, they'll give you your money back. So go on to wallstreetoasis.com, click IB interview course, and when you buy it, Make sure you select podcast is where you heard about it. All right, Jared, let's jump into it. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so your career, you had this really prolific career on Wall Street being a trader, and now you uh, are more into the writing advice space. But So I'd love to separate the podcast in kind of those two worlds, but first and foremost, I'd like to hear about the beginning part of your career cutting your way onto Wall Street and making it there. How did you do that? How did you break in? How did you make it work? Well, uh, to say I went to a non-target school would be a little bit of an understatement. Um, uh, I, w- I, w- I went to undergrad at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. I actually spent uh, a number of years in the Coast Guard. And then um, – I got my MBA at the University of San Francisco, and the University of San Francisco was ranked like 150th or something like that. Um, I got a great education there, but it was not a place that uh, bulge bracket banks were recruiting. Um, So uh, one of the things that I did to make myself more appealing was uh, I got a job as a clerk on the Pecoast Options Exchange. Uh, this was back in 1999, and this was really – it was at the top of dot-com bubble, and it was also sort of at the top of the open outcry trading floor world. Um, this is before decimalization. This is before electronic exchanges. Um, this was still open outcry with paper tickets. So it was an exciting time to be down there, and that's really where uh, I learned about – you know, not just options, but about finance uh, and trading. And it gave me such a huge edge over people when I was uh, applying to these banks because I could 
you know, sit on the trading floor in an informational interview and I could talk about options and trading in a way that somebody from an Ivy League school could not. It just gave me a, a massive advantage. And that's the one thing that I owe um, my getting a job at Lehman Brothers too. Right. So this is the kind of the thought that just do whatever you can to get yourself in the door, get coffee, make copies, be an assistant, answer phones. If you're not, if you're coming from a non-target school, then that's your leg up. That's how you do it. That's how you did it. Yep, exactly. Awesome. So, okay, you tell us, so this was right after business school you were doing kind of this uh, assistant type job or this was before business school? It was, dur- it was during business school. And actually, um, to give you an idea of how... Uh, dedicated I was, uh, you know, I was still in the Coast Guard. I was a lieutenant and I was working as an intelligence analyst and that was my day job. And I worked at a deal with the Coast Guard where I could take two or three days a week and work on the floor in the morning. Keep in mind, it's West Coast hours. So I was working from like five in the morning until noon or one o'clock. Then I would come over and work for the Coast Guard. And on the other days, I was going to school at night. So basically every day I was getting up at about 3.30 and going to bed around midnight or one. Um, And I did that for a little over a year. Um, So, you know, there I I just (laughs) I really wanted to work on Wall Street uh, really, really bad. And, uh, you know, that period of my life, I got so little sleep. I just I just have these strange memories of it. I was kind of delirious most of the time. I didn't even know what was going on. Right. Yeah, that's can be what it takes. And so you were willing to put in those that work in those hours. And it sounds like it's paid off for you, but let's continue the story. So how'd you get to Lehman? So, you know, I, I, uh, I went to a number of banks and got informational interviews and sort of, you know, weaseled myself in, uh, cold calling people and whatnot. And really the place that was most interested in talking to me was Lehman and, uh, Lehman, you know, the culture of the firm, I mean, obviously, Lehman no longer exists, which is a shame because, you know, the culture of that firm was they were scrappy and they were looking for people who were hungry. And so my story um, made a lot of sense to them. You know, I went and saw uh, people at City, which was really Solomon Brothers. It was right after they took over Solomon Brothers. And they, they, my story did not make sense to them. I saw people at JP Morgan. My story did not make sense to them. The one place where I really clicked was Lehman, um, and they offered me that job. And you know, and the funny thing is, is that uh, when I started working there as an associate, uh, they had everybody's resume in a resume book. And I got to tell you, you know, my resume was not that impressive compared to a lot of the people that they hired. Uh, they hired some pretty pedigreed people. And I was not one of them, but I was in, you know, I made it in. Right. You're in and that's the important thing. But does that give you like a chip on your shoulder as you're, as you're there? Does it make you want to work harder than everybody else? How'd you, how'd you uh, use that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily gave me a chip on my shoulder. I didn't want to make enemies with people. But uh, one of the things I realized was that, you know, 
we were going through this training program and it was a bond math class and options and stuff like that. And I realized that I am not dumber than everyone else here. In fact, I'm actually smarter. I know more. I know more about bonds. I know more about finance. I learned more when I was in business school. And what I started to figure out was these people who I was in competition with, they spent a lot of their time in business school going to recruiting dinners and doing social things and less time studying. So, you know, just from a knowledge standpoint, I was actually better off having gone to a third tier school. I learned more. Yeah, that makes total sense. I can tell you from experience. I graduated two months ago from a business school, and most of it was dinners and and networking. So I completely see that point. Okay, so let's continue. Um, You made it to Lehman. They offered you the job. You're obviously ecstatic. You're in this training program. Then what? Uh, well, you know, this was a terrible time in history, but, uh, at the end of the training program, nine 11 happened. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get too much into that, but that was, you know, a big disruption, not just in my career, but you know, the whole firm at wall street, um, you know, Lehman Lehman's building, uh, was damaged when the towers collapsed. The tower basically fell on three world financial center. Uh, Lehman went to Jersey city to their backup building. And I worked there for a couple of months and then, uh, I moved to the Times Square building in February of 2002. And what I was doing was uh, index arbitrage, which wasn't the greatest seat. Um, you know, I was sort of running into the same issues uh, getting a job on a trading desk as I was getting into a firm. Uh, I didn't have a pedigree. I wasn't a summer associate. Uh, I didn't know a lot of people. And once again, I was in competition with people who just more, looked more impressive on paper. Uh, you know, but that index arbitrage job, which everybody left for dead turned out to be a godsend and I was perfectly suited for it. Uh, it was a really, you know, hand to hand combat rough and tumble trading kind of job, which is what I was perfectly suited for having coming, having come from the floor. And the great thing about it was that I was able to start producing and making money almost immediately. Uh, I started doing index ARB in, I want to say November, December of 2001, maybe by March or April, I had my own trading book and I was profitable. My first year, uh, I made eight million bucks, which is pretty good. And uh, then the bear market started. So as the layoffs began, uh, they couldn't touch me because I was making money, and uh, a lot of my classmates were not. So you know, I was uh, very lucky. Yeah, that that that's awesome. So, what's the moral of this story here? It sounds like if you don't have the right background, you don't have the right connections, that you can make up for that by. By knowing your shit, basically. Well, I'm not even sure there there is a moral. I mean, basically, um, you know, I like I, I tell people I'm lucky all the time, and I am very lucky. But there's a lot of hustle, you know, um, you know. And I got that job on the Pecos by hustling. You know, I went down there for a tour, just literally on a tour for tourists, and I was talking to people and asking questions. 
And that's when uh, somebody literally offered me a job on the spot. And that would not have happened had I not taken that tour and put myself in that position. So a lot of life is really getting out there and hustling. And, you know, nothing is going to happen to you sitting in your apartment wishing that you had a job. You're not that's, I can I can assure you that you're not going to get a job that way. Um, you have to get out there and make stuff happen. Right. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a great point of making stuff happen for yourself, getting out there and talking to people and making connections. You know, there was a, this would happen like once a year. Um, There would be some kid in the uh, lobby of the Lehman Brothers building handing out resumes and he'd be wearing a suit, handing out resumes in the lobby and uh, people would come upstairs and they'd say, you know, you know, what a numb nuts that guy is. And, Yes, that guy is a numb nuts, but also uh, I have respect for that guy. I mean, once again, that is better than nothing. It is better than sitting in your apartment. It's a bad strategy, but it's not no strategy. So, um, you know, that that guy has a better chance than the guy who's just not doing anything. So, yeah, exactly. It's probably his strategy could could uh, learn from yours where you had knowledge and actually tried to add value to people versus just handing out resumes. I see that here in Los Angeles. Sometimes I see actors holding up signs on Santa Monica Boulevard saying, please put me in your next movie. And same kind of thing. But uh, hey, <laughs> at, at least they're, they're putting them, themselves out there. Yep. Nothing bad can come from that. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, I mean, you're just going to become more humble, and and hey, maybe maybe you'll get the job. Yeah. Okay. So, what's next? Well, I don't know what's next. I mean, I had a you know I had a seven year career at Lehman Brothers, and uh, it was a very good career. I did index arbitrage for two or three years, then I got a promotion of sorts. Uh, they made me head of the ETF trading desk. Uh, and this was from 2004 to 2008. And that's kind of where I made a name for myself. Um, when I took over the ETF job, the ETF business was doing about 20, 22 million a year in revenue. It was ranked seventh or eighth on the street. And my job was to make it bigger. And I had complete latitude as to, um, how I was going to do that. So I did it basically with a twofold approach. One, I did it through trading. Uh, I made our prices more competitive and I was more willing to make markets. Uh, and two, from a marketing standpoint, I started writing market commentary, which got to be very popular. And I had this distribution list, which became a couple thousand people over time. And, you know, the desk actually became pretty famous. Um, so, you know, we went from number seven or number eight uh, to number two. And uh, the last year I was there in 2008, we were on track to do about 90 million that year. So um, just massive, massive growth. Also a bull market. That doesn't hurt. Um, and uh, also a period of growth for ETFs. I mean, ETFs are still growing. This is back when ETFs were really considered to be trading vehicles rather than uh, asset management vehicles, um, hedge funds were just trading, day trading them. Uh, I mean, the trading environment was, was nuts. 
Uh, but this is this is before they kind of got boring and they became, you know, very low fee, low cost ways to invest. Um, the, the ETF business is very different now than it was when I was doing it. Right. And then this is the kind of the foray to your next business where you have this email list, people wanting your advice. Uh, and so at the time when you when you had this, did you, did you think, OK, I'm just going to continue being a trader or, hey, there's thousands of people here that like what I'm saying, maybe there's something to this. Well, I know there was, I know I, I wanted to, I have always wanted to have a financial newsletter going back to 2003. And in 2003, uh, it was the bottom of the bear market. And, um, I was very depressed. It was very, it was a very dark time and people, people don't really realize, um, how, how bad of a bear market that was from 2000 to 2003, less than three years. Anyway, so I, I, th- I was sure I was going to get fired. I was making other career plans, and I said, well, maybe maybe I'll have an investment newsletter. And I had this idea uh, that I was going to have this very retail-oriented uh, $150 a year newsletter and go around and give seminars and hotels and stuff like that. It was a terrible idea. But I kind of planted the seed. And, um, you know, Lehman went bankrupt in 2008. So in 2008, I had a list of a couple thousand people and I said, you know, I'm going to have an institutional publication um, and uh, I'm going to use my existing list. I'm going to try to start it from that. Uh, So after the bankruptcy, I literally just left the firm. Uh, I quit. I didn't even get severance. I just had to quit. And uh, I went and got office space, got a computer. I was working on Third Avenue and I built this business, you know, which is the Daily Dirt Nam. And um, I'm doing that to this day. Uh, it's been it's been a great success. It hasn't been easy, um, you know, with this is not really the best environment to be selling research. Uh, people don't really have the budget for it like they did 10 years ago. But it works, you know, so I'm still doing it to this day. So, right. So now you're on this enterprise facing research newsletter and, and that's the primary business. Also, there's some books, things like that. Yeah. Along the way, uh, I was, a you know, I was approached to write a book about Lehman Brothers, uh, in 2009. Um, so that was published in 2011 it's called street freak and that was actually that was a pretty big book it wasn't wasn't a bestseller technically it sold reasonably well um it's uh it did win the number one business book of the year by bloomberg um in 2011 and it has a reputation as sort of this uh underground more up-to-date version of liars poker i think that you know, people who are looking to read about what Wall Street is like, uh, you get a much more up-to-date version of it with my book than with Liar's Poker. Although I will say that, you know, even my book is getting a little dated at this point. Uh, Wall Street is, you know, very different today than it was 10 years ago. So um, also wrote another book that got published last year. It was a novel called All the Evil of This World, and it's a Wall Street-based novel. And it's a fantastic, fantastic story of an options trade that takes place in the middle of the dot-com bubble um, that touches seven different people. And it's just – I mean it's – I can't – 
I can't say enough good things. about. I'm so proud of that book. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, that's, that's another one that people should read. Right. So talk to me about fulfillment and happiness now. You know, people become traders to get into a fast-paced, high-stress, high-pressure environment um, where lots of money is on the line. And now you uh, are an author. You publish a newsletter. I mean, you're a business owner, but uh, how do you find fulfillment today? I mean, are you happy? Are you happier doing this? Were you happier doing trading? How do you think about that? Well, I was happy trading. Um, I think that trading is what I was supposed to be doing from age 24 to 34. And writing is what I'm supposed to be doing now. Um, You know, trading is stressful. Everybody knows this. Uh, It's for me, you know, it was more stressful, I think, than for most people. The ETF business was more... Uh, high stakes, high stress, I think, than pretty much all trading jobs. Uh, most of the ETF traders I knew only lasted a couple of years, uh, and they just became burned out. It was hard. Uh, so, you know, when I left Lehman, I was 34 years old, which, you know, it's not that old. Um, and I, I just, I had had enough of trading. I had had enough of that career and uh, I needed to reinvent myself. And I didn't really know what that was going to look like. You know, today um, I have a career writing all different kinds of stuff. You know, I write uh, the Daily Dirt Nap. I also write a couple newsletters from Malden Economics. I write a monthly piece. I write a weekly piece. I write for Forbes. I write for uh, Bloomberg View, which has been terrific. I'm actually an editorial columnist for Bloomberg. Uh, I have a couple other writing gigs like ETF.com. So, yeah, like I, you know, I get up and come to work. I have an office and I'm a full time writer and uh, I love it. I just, you know, I'm I, I feel very blessed that, you know, writing, I think, for most people is uh, a real ass ache like. Uh, you know, you're getting your freelancer, you're getting paid $200 for an article. Uh, I mean, look, like I make a terrific amount of money for somebody that all they does is write. Um, and like I said, I'm very lucky. So, right. Well, you have a very specific, um, topic base that you write on and you have a great experience to, to leverage on. It's kind of the same thing we talked about in the beginning of the conversation. You have value. You're not just handing out uh, resumes with your name on them. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Jared, this was awesome. Your story is inspiring, encouraging. I think it's, you've got a great business today. Uh, you know, I'll let you leave this podcast, the listeners of it with some last piece of advice that uh, you could impart to them on how to break into Wall Street, how to, how to thrive when you're there, how to be a good trader, anything like that? Uh, on Wall Street, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And, uh, you know, you mentioned when you were in business school, a lot of it was about the social side of it, networking and social connections and stuff like that. That's less important. Knowledge is more important. Uh, when you get that job and you're working at a bank or a hedge fund, if you're the person who knows how to price something or who knows what something is worth or who knows how to trade something, you become the most valuable person in the firm. Um, so when I say that, when you're in school, learn. Don't just 
do what you're doing just to get a grade. Absolutely. You want to be the smartest person coming out of that school. Right. I think that's important. And, uh, I appreciate you speaking with us, Jared. This was, this was great. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. Talk to you later. Thanks. I'm Alex Grodnick and you've been listening to the wall street Oasis podcast. We have much more coming, so please stay with us. Also, let us know what you think. Leave us a comment on iTunes. Thanks.